This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with longtime friend, first time guest, Molly Gimmel of Design to Delivery. Molly, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So tell people a little bit about Design to Delivery and, and your background, and then we'll get into a few other things. Sure. Um, so Design to Delivery is a small woman-owned government contracting firm headquartered in Bethesda. I started it with my partner, Diana Dibble, in t- 2001. So we've been in business for just over 20 years now, which blows my mind. Um, we do acquisition and program management support for federal agencies. And we just um, launched a new business line that we're calling the SBS, the Small Business Superstore, where we're bringing together small companies that sell business products to the federal government and giving them access to that market through our GSA schedule. Cool. I have calls frequently from small companies that have products and I tell them not to get their own schedule because they're going to be competing against 9 million other people and then they'll have the headache of keeping a schedule. So now I have somewhere to send them. Exactly right. Please do. So for some reason, you took it upon yourself to uh, set pen to paper. The result is master your mindset, how women leaders step up. I got to tell you, this is this is a fantastic book, Molly. Oh, thank you. First of all, why the book? Um, well, you know, leadership is a topic that has really, I've found incredibly interesting over the last, say, 10 years or so. Um, part as I've grown my business, um, you know, growing with more employees and having to manage that. But then also um, through my involvement with NABA, the National Association of Women Business Owners, soon after starting our company, I joined the organization, got involved here in the local DC chapter, um, served on the chapter board, was chapter president for a year, and then got involved at the national level, served on several committees, um, was on the national board of directors, including a year as chair of the national board. And one of the things that really interested me was was how much leadership matters to organizations. So NABO has 50 some chapters across the country and there would be situations where a chapter would be growing and thriving and doing great things and then a few years later would be struggling and vice versa would be struggling and a few years later growing and thriving. And when you looked at the reason for the change, it was almost always leadership. Um, because most of our chapters are run by volunteers, members who step up to serve on their chapter boards and chapter presidents. And so looking at that situation, and it really made me think a lot about what makes someone an effective leader and what characteristics um, do people have in order to be effective leaders? And so the book kind of came out of that um, situation. And uh, again, you know, I, I find it, quite thorough, quite fascinating. And I think a lot of men would learn a heck of a lot from this. Um, We both know that companies that are led by women do better than companies led by men. So 
where there's a disconnect somewhere here. <laughs> well, I think the companies that do the best are those that have diverse leadership teams. You know, I think it benefits companies to have a, a diversity of opinion, a diversity of background of their leadership. But I think in this 21st century, you know, the vast majority of the workers now are the millennials, the Gen Zs, and they're looking for very different things from the companies that they work for than the workers of the 20th century did. And I think the women's style of leadership is more suited to what the current workforce is looking for than the traditional men's authoritarian hierarchical workplace style. Okay. So what we're going to do here, it's, it's not my traditional method of interviewing an author, but you've, you've kind of cued this up for me in a very, very nice way. Each chapter has a recap um, at the end. And mm -hmm. I'm going to go through the recap. So, uh, okay, well, start... before we start, can I just explain kind of how the book is structured then? Oh, please. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, what I did was this is about developing a leadership mindset, and I came up with a list of 13 different mindset areas. And um, I interviewed about 30 different women leaders in a variety of industries um, across the country some small businesses, some large some um, entrepreneurs, some employees, some women in Hollywood, politics, all different um, walks of life. And these aren't famous women. These are this not Oprah and Sarah Blakely and things like that. These are real down to earth women who have um, stepped into leadership roles. And I gave them the list of mindsets and I said, pick two or three of these mindsets and let's just have a conversation about them. Things that have been important to you in your leadership journey or your, your experiences and if you have any stories about them. So that's what how the book is structured. So each chapter is one of those mindsets. And then I talk about what that mindset is. I tell some of my personal stories about that mindset in my leadership experiences. And then I weave in the stories and the insights that the women I interviewed shared. Well, the structure is great because each chapter is, you know, a complete thought unto itself. You, if you want to read that way, uh, I mean, you can jump. I don't know if you could jump chapters or not, because technically it is sequential. But if you're, if you think you're yeah. lacking in one area, jump straight to it. But let's start with master your mental chatter. What sure. is mental chatter? So mental chatter is that voice that's in your head chattering away at you all the time. <laughs> we all have it. There's no way to stop it. So you have to really um, think about what, what is that voice saying to you and is it helping you or hurting you? And with a lot of people, it's hurting them because the voice in their head is repeating negative things that it may have heard over the course of your lifetime. And so in order to be an effective leader um, and just a happier person in general, you really want the voice to be on your side, to be your fan, to be say, telling you good things about yourself as opposed to bad things. So you also say create affirmation. So as a mentor mm -hmm. to a lot of people, I, I, I also mentor women. Now, guys mm -hmm. may find that odd, but I like mentoring women better than men. Uh, there's always that negative chatter in there, and it comes out in conversations along the way. And whenever I hear it, I stop them and say, why do you think this? You know, it's not, I know you, it's not true. Yeah. I'm trying. So. Yeah. Well, a lot of times they think that because it's what they heard. Maybe, you know, maybe they had a parent who was very critical of them 
and or maybe they had you know maybe they were bullied when they were in school or something like that or maybe they heard that they were stupid from a teacher or and so whenever you hear something negative from someone else that voice hears it too the voice in your head and then the voice repeats it it doesn't mean it's true just because the voice in your head is saying it it's just something that the voice has heard and is repeating over and over so you've got to get that voice to stop harping on the negative stuff and start focusing on the positive you, you have a uh, a mirror activity do you not um, well, this is not my activity. As I say in the book, um, there's a new book out by Mel Robbins called um, The High Five Habit, where she uh, recommends giving yourself a high five in the mirror every day. And it, it's amazing how it works. It it seems silly, but once you get into the habit of doing it, you look forward to it and you look forward to, you know, giving yourself that high five and looking at yourself in the mirror and it really does help you kind of reframe the the voice to be more positive. If you don't mind, I'm going to share that with the five women that I'm currently mentoring. Of course, so, please. Done. Uh, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'll be back with Molly right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with Molly Gimmel the uh, CEO of Design to Delivery, and for purposes of our discussion today, the author of Master Your Mindset, How Women Leaders Step Up. Uh, again, a fascinating book. It's available on Amazon. Uh, just go get it. And, I don't, you know, you don't have to be a woman to read this uh, because it, it a lot of this stuff applies to everybody. Maybe all of it applies to everybody. All right, Chapter 2, Imposter Syndrome. What is an imposter syndrome? <laughs> imposter syndrome is the feeling that you're not actually qualified for what you're doing, that you are really a fraud or an imposter, and they're going to find out. Um, and a lot of people have that at various points in their life and career. I think the study is, and not just women, men as well, like up to 70% of people have felt that at one point or another, usually when trying something new, when being put into a new position. Um, or in a situation where they're receiving accolades that maybe they feel like they don't deserve something along those lines. It's quite common. Okay. But you, you also mentioned that people who have it often do work hard to overcome it. And, but are they mm -hmm. too cautious while they're moving forward, trying to keep the imposter at bay? They don't know about too cautious. You know, there have been studies that show that people with imposter syndrome, for example, medical students with imposter syndrome are more careful and take more time to make sure that they get things right because they lack they lack the confidence that they're really um, qualified to be doing what they're doing. So, you know, I don't think imposter syndrome is necessarily a bad thing all the time. However, it can be debilitating if you're put into a position where you're expected to take the lead and you don't think you should be there, you find you think you're a fraud. And that keeps you from stepping up and getting done what needs to get done. So it's almost like a continuation of the negative chatter. Yeah, yeah. I started with the negative chatter the first as chapter one um, because that kind of underpins all of the rest of them. Mm -hmm. Because once you get your mental chatter in order, then you can kind of, then that helps you overcome a lot of the other issues. Okay. Any other things that we need to know about imposters? Well, I think imposter syndrome, you know, a lot of people talk about one of the ways to get over imposter syndrome is fake it till you make it. So pretend like you're qualified. I don't personally like that. I think it's more important to, if you're feeling imposter syndrome, kind of identify the reason why. 
you think you're feeling that? Do you feel like you don't have the knowledge to be considered an expert in, or whatever uh, in whatever topic that you're being asked to take on? Or do you feel like you don't have enough experience or something along those lines? Identify what the issue really is. If you think everybody else is smarter than you, for example, um, might be a reason you feel like an imposter. So figure out what, what the underlying cause is of that imposter syndrome feeling and see if there's something you can do to address it. So if you're in a room with a bunch of people and you think they're all much more experienced than you or much more knowledgeable, then go take a class on something, go take a workshop, do some research, get your knowledge based to where you think it's acceptable that you're no longer considered a fraud or an imposter. Yeah. One of the exercises I do with people is make them flesh out their experience on LinkedIn and make them understand, make them see what they brought to the table in each of their incarnations, each of their jobs. And if they've been in one mm. job, one company for a while, they probably had several position changes, usually migrating upward, not downward. And mm -hmm. my my question then becomes, if the company gave you this, don't you think they think you have the talent? You know, right. they're not going to put you in the sink. Exactly. And, you know, one of the other things there's a I put in the book, there's a quote from Michelle Obama. She was asked about having imposter syndrome when she was first lady because she was constantly dealing with people who are, you know, very accomplished and very acclaimed. And she said, you know, I've been at every powerful table you can think of. I've been surrounded by people who are lauded and acclaimed and accomplished. But here's the secret. They're not all that smart. <laughs> he says a lot of them just do what they do because they don't want to give up their power, but they're not really all that smart. And they're not. And once she realized that she stopped being intimidated by it. You know, I, yeah, I'll just let it go. I agree completely with that statement. I've, I've run across a lot of uh, inflated egos and when you push for substance, it just does not exist. Mm-hmm. All right, next chapter, maintain okay. integrity. I love this. Yes. So a lot of people think integrity is just being honest. And, and absolutely, that's part of it. But there's more to it. Um, I think integrity is being honest, but also doing the right thing, um, even if nobody's going to know. And also living in integrity or living in um, coordination with your values. So I think integrity encompasses that whole spectrum. I have a theory that you have to write down your values to really know what mm -hmm. they are. It's like, yeah. you know, I live according to my own laws, you know, well, what are those? And, and then they stumble, write them down, understand what the parameters are and walk the right. talk. Absolutely. And I agree 100%. I know you do because you do it. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, you know, for years you've walked the talk. I never said mm -hmm. that in public before, so I'm late. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, so what are the chapter takeaways? Are you, or you just did them. Well, yeah, I just did them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then, then let's move but I will on. Say to... one, other, Go ahead. one chapter takeaway that we didn't talk about is, is that nothing can destroy your reputation faster than a lack of integrity. I think, and that doesn't mean making, not making mistakes. That means if you do make a mistake, taking ownership and fixing whatever the problem was and being honest about it. But people who are found, for example, to lie on their resumes and they say, oh, it was just an honest mistake. Usually if they've lied on their resume, they're dishonest or lack integrity in other areas of their life as well. So I think there's nothing 
um, more damaging to someone's career and reputation than a lack of integrity. I would agree. And again, like you just said, you know, you build it up over years and it doesn't take much to pull out that, Mm -hmm. you know, block on the bottom and there you go. Yep. The next one intrigues me as well. Gaining confidence. You got to believe in yourself. You do. And this is kind of a follow on to the mastering the mental chatter. Once you get the voice in your head to be on your side, then that helps you project that confidence because confidence is what makes people want to follow you as a leader. If you're a leader and you don't have confidence in yourself as a leader, people aren't going to want to follow you. So I think confidence is one of those things that's really important um, for leaders to have to be effective. Okay. How how do you gain confidence? I mean, everybody has some doubts. Um, mm-hmm. So sure. build, building what what are the building blocks i guess that you're you're trying to instill mm-hmm. in uh, in your readers okay so to gain confidence there's a few things that you can do one is um getting the voice in your head to be on your side but two is achieving goals you gain confidence by achieving goals so you don't want to start start huge with a huge goal you want to start with a small goal and then once you achieve that then maybe make it a little bit bigger so if your end goal is you want to run a marathon you don't start by getting out for your first time and trying to run 10 miles because then the next day you won't be able to walk and you know it's and you'll quit and it's ridiculous so the, for the first day you you know maybe jog to the end of the street and back and then you work up from there so as you achieve each small goal then you set a bigger goal And each time you achieve the next goal, then that gives you more confidence that you can try for something even bigger. Um, So that's one way. I think another way is to make a list of your strengths and weaknesses. And for the things that are your strengths, your strength areas, you know, acknowledge the fact that those are things that you're good at um, and be proud of yourself for that. And then for the areas that your weaknesses are, identify ways to improve yourself in those areas. And once you feel like you've made progress, um, improving those, then again, you gain confidence. So would, um, so you're basically saying SWAT yourself to the sway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> exactly. I, I have found personally that when I SWAT myself and put it in front of me, write it out, put it on a, you know, flip chart, whiteboard, mm-hmm. whatever, that I I'm thinking of it more regularly and I'm thinking of ways to overcome those weaknesses and to identify more opportunities. So that visualization. Absolutely. But I, I do it and I, and I love that. Um, we're not going to get into the next one. We'll wait till the next segment. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'll be back with Molly right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Molly Gimmel the author of Master Your Mindset, How Women Leaders Step Up. Uh, Gimmel is G-I-M-M-E-L. Find her on LinkedIn, too. Um, the Chapter 5, Stop Waffling and Make a Decision. Be Decisive. Um, yeah. How cool was that? <laughs> <laughs> it's really important. Well, um, but but... You know, leaders are supposed to make decisions. They're supposed to have vision. They're supposed to be able to execute. But 
not everybody is capable. I mean, I advise a lot of small companies. You've worked with a lot of small companies. You're going to be working with more soon. Getting somebody to commit to a direction is not always Mm -hmm. simple or easy. No, it's not. But, you know, by definition, a leader has to make decisions. That's the job of a leader, really, right? Because if it's not an important decision, then the leader doesn't need to make it. So the leader's leadership decisions are important decisions by definition, I think. And especially for women, um, I think it's really important to be decisive. Men are usually given a little more slack in terms of being wishy-washy and changing their mind. But women are judged harshly if they are not able to make good decisions. So um, I think it's it's important that for a woman to be an effective leader, she needs to become comfortable with making decisions quickly. Let, let, let's ride this horse for, for a minute or two, because sure. women leaders are judged harshly if they're strong. Both of us know women out there who they use the B word for, uh, oh, God, I wouldn't want to work for her. Mm-hmm. And they're not doing anything different than men in the same positions. Do you have any tips for how to be more decisive? Yes. So if you're not comfortable making decisions, I think one of the ways to get more comfortable with it is to flex your decision-making muscle. Start looking for things to make choices about that aren't that important. And then once you get comfortable and confident in your decision-making ability, then you can start making decisions about things that are more important. Um, I think you also have to maybe set a threshold for the amount of information that you need in order to feel able to make a decision. So you're almost never going to have 100% of the information needed to make the best decision. And so you have to say, okay, maybe 70% is the threshold. I only have 70% of the necessary information, but that's enough. A decision has to be made. I need to make it. Um, And, you know, if it turns out that that extra 30% that you didn't have means that the decision should have been something else. Oh, well, you know, either live with the consequences or, um, or, you know, maybe pivot once you get that additional information, but you have to, so many people, not just women, but men as well, think that they have to have all of the information before they can make the decision. And that's just a way of putting things off and it's, you're almost never going to get to that point. So I think it's important to, to figure out, you know, that you need to make the decisions. It's more important to just make a decision than it is to to wait. I've been doing this a long time, and I don't think I've ever been close to having all of the information needed. No, no, no. So um, we're, we're dealing with, um, you know, your ability to keep going if you made the wrong decision. Um, if you make the wrong decision, if something bad happens that you had no control over, um, yeah, leaders can't just curl up into a ball and and cry. I mean, you can, but only for a few minutes. Then you've got to get back up and figure out your next steps. Right, and don't cry in public. <laughs> That's a private matter. Um, but but you know, the persevering is not easy for some. What's your advice for people who, you know, start to withdraw once something untoward occurs? I would say give themselves a time limit. 
say, okay, you know, this bad thing happened to me, um, or I made this bad decision or whatever, I'm going to wallow for two days or two hours or however long is appropriate, depending on the severity of the thing. And then once that time is up, I've got to figure out how I'm going to go forward from here. Okay. So definitely set a time limit and be hard on yourself to maintain that time limit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because right. it's it's not realistic to say, well, I'm just going to let it roll off my back. Because sometimes there's things that happen that you have to acknowledge and mourn. But that doesn't mean you have to, let, uh, to use the same word again, wallow in them. It doesn't mean you have to let them get you off track. You take your time, you set your limit, and when that time is up, then you figure out how to move forward. Yeah. I love the way you uh, you start the establish a growth mindset chapter that uh, yeah. you tell the story about being a, a learning to read at three and then being a voracious reader literally ever since. I'm shocked. I had no clue. Um, oh, yeah. Each, each time I've spoken with you, it doesn't come through. Um <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm a huge uh, reader. I, I, I accept that. I believe that, and I believe you are widely read as well. And I think that's important too. It's you, you can't just read all business books. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not going to get into other stuff that I read, but, but you know that breadth is good. Um, and I'm usually reading three or four at least books at a time. Me uh, as well. So yeah. Um, why does a person with a growth mindset understand a little more about the universe? Well, a person with a growth mindset is someone who believes that they always have more things to learn and, and grow about, or um, to learn about and grow. And a person with a fixed mindset, someone opposite that, thinks that they are who they are, with what skills and talents that they have, and that's all it is. So um, someone with a fixed mindset believes that they can't really improve any more than they already are, that they have the skills that they have, and that's it, versus a growth mindset says, well, maybe I don't have that skill now, but I can go learn it. Um, or I, maybe I don't have no have knowledge about this topic area now, but I can go learn it. And I just think that that's so important. Well, you know, we're in the government market. If you think you know everything, you are so wrong. If you're not learning more every day, every week, uh, you know, that's why I surround, I have a a brain trust of all of my voids. So I'm a marketing guy and I specialize in a niche of marketing and I have other marketing people around me who are great. And then I have BD people, I have procurement and, you know, capture people, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, everything across the board. Yeah. I, I don't want to know everything. I want to know people that know everything so they can help me learn what I need to know in a timely manner. Yeah. So. Absolutely. And I, well, I, I know from the people that we share that you do a lot of the same things. Absolutely. So we, we touched on this one earlier and uh, we, we mm-hmm. put it off a little bit, but don't take it personally. Sometimes yeah. that's hard. <laughs> It, absolutely. And it's, it's one that I'm constantly struggling with. So, but I think um, it's important as a leader, yeah. you know, if, if you're putting yourself in a leadership position, there's always going to be somebody that's not happy with what you're doing, no matter what. 
And you can't let other people's criticism derail you and derail and make you doubt yourself or your vision or your plans. Um, so I use a quote at the beginning of this chapter from Hillary Clinton, um, and it's not a political thing, but it says, take criticism seriously, but not personally. If there's truth or merit in the criticism, try to learn from it, otherwise let it roll off you. So, and I think that this quote is, is so spot on in terms of what a leader needs to do. So if, if there's merit in the criticism, then okay, let's learn from it. Let's see what I can do better. But otherwise, if it's just a personal attack, if it's just someone's difference of opinion, don't take it personally. And not just that, but a lot of business situations. And this is something that I think women and men, a lot of these topics are both applicable to women and men, but this is one that I think women have a, a lot harder. Women take more things personally than men do. Um, with men, a lot of time a situation might come up, it didn't go their way, and they say, oh, you know, win some, lose some. It's just business. But women say, oh, yeah, I lost that one. Maybe it's because of me. Um, maybe they didn't like me. Maybe they canceled that contract because they think my service sucks or whatever. And they take it very personally as opposed to saying like men do, oh, well, win some, lose some, it's just business kind of thing. So I think in order to be an effective leader, you really have to be able to separate yourself personally from the situation or from the criticism and learn from what, what you can if there is something to be learned and otherwise let it go. Yeah, and if you can't go back to chapters one and two, the uh, mental chatter and the imposter syndrome and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, read the lessons there again. So you divide the book into two parts and we're moving to part two now. Uh, yes. And we'll pick up part two in the last segment of our show. You're listening to Ham Tower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'll be back with Molly right after this. Welcome back to Ham Tower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with Molly Gimmel. We're talking about her new book, Master Your Mindset, How Women Leaders Step Up. Again, this is a phenomenal book, and it's frankly not just for women. Um, but but let's let's um, first of all, why did you divide it into uh, into two parts? What's the uh, you call the second part connecting with others? Uh, yes. So part so, one is connecting with yourself because I think to be an effective leader, you need to get those things under control that we just talked about, mastering your mental chatter, getting over imposter syndrome, developing confidence, resilience, all of those things that we just discussed. Um, that's all about you and yourself and um, how you see yourself as a leader. But then what's also important is your mindset around how you interact with those that you lead. So that's what part two is. The next few chapters are about how you as a leader connect with the people that you lead because in order to effectively lead people you have they have to feel connected to you and you have to feel connected to them so let's start with the servant leadership sure so servant leadership is about understanding that you as a leader it that your leadership is not about you it's about serving those that you're leading and serving the organization that you're in your be it your company your nonprofit association the cause whatever um, group that you're leading it's about serving that group and its members your employees your customers whoever so that doesn't necessarily mean and some people think servant leadership means that the leader should do the work of the people that they're leading and that does not what that means it doesn't mean serve them in terms of do their work for them it means 
understand that your role as the leader is to benefit the organization, not to benefit you yourself personally. Okay. Um, yeah, I've, I've read a fair amount about this because uh, I had Ken Blanchard on my show a number of years ago, and mm-hmm. we stayed friends, and every now and again, he'll drop me a line uh, about something that I write. And, you know, it, it reminds me to keep that mindset close at hand. So, and and for me, that means, you know, there are no stars in the GovCon market. The market is the star. You're serving the market. You're serving the people. Exactly. You you're serving the taxpayer. You're serving the warfighter. You're serving, you know, the people that you're, that your customers, the customer, the federal agencies, you're serving the people that they serve. Exactly. So talk to me about empathy. Sure. So empathy um, is basically understanding where others are coming from. It's not just feeling sorry for someone or um, pitying them. It's it's about seeing things from other people's perspective. Um, so, and I think it's really important in order to be a leader, in order to connect with the people that you're leading, you really have to see things from their points of view and understand what their what their situation is, what where they're coming from, and maybe even put them put yourself in their shoes so that you can really understand that perspective. Okay. And is is there are there any tips to to get there? Because I I know a lot of people that need to learn this. Yeah, it, this is a hard one. I guess one tip is really to try to, depending on what the situation is, to try to think of a time in your life or your career that you were in a similar situation and how you felt about that time. And um, then go come, bring that thought, bring that memory back and use it to understand this, the perspective of the person that you're dealing with. Okay, cool. I like that. So um, the, the the next one is is really tricky. You deal yeah. with authenticity, um, yeah. And and I know a lot of people who say they're genuine, who say they're authentic, and it's a veneer. Mm-hmm. How do you get from point A to point B? Yeah, this is a hard one. Um... And it's one that I've struggled with over my career because, you know, I was brought up by, oh, you must act professionally at all times. Don't always show your personality. Don't don't admit mistakes. All of those types of things. Um, that's what equals success. And the fact is that, that, you know, you can do that. You can live like that and work like that. But no one's going to feel connected to you because it's it's your humanness that makes people feel connected to you the people that you're leading, especially. So they want to see your personality, your real personality. They want to know about the times that you made mistakes and they want to know, you know, how you, how you fixed the problem. They want to know about the challenges that you've overcome. All those things make you a real person and people that you're leading are going to feel more connected to you, more loyal to you and want to do a better job for you when they feel that connection because they see you as a real person. Yeah, we don't touch bases often, but I've always known that when I touch bases with you or read something by you, that 
I know it's Molly's real self coming out. There's no subterfuge. There's there's no hidden agenda that it's your opinion. Um, Do you feel that way about yourself? Yeah. um, You know, it's funny because hidden agendas are something that I just don't do. And I never have. And there have been times that people have accused me of that. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about because I've never done the the hidden agenda thing. I'm just, I don't have the poker face. Um, You know, I just can't do that. But, you know, I, like I said earlier in my career, I tried to be more, you know, put on a more professional air at all times and, and not let as much of my true personality out in the workplace. And, you know, I got to the point, I actually had a couple of people tell me that they were, they found me scary and I didn't like that. <laughs> I, I don't think of myself as scary at all. And, and so I was like, oh man, I really need to, I need to think about this and um, how I'm, how I'm presenting myself. You know, but I, I'm wondering if that shows their insecurities rather than a flaw in, in you, because I like the open, honest, brash molly gimmel a lot Mm -hmm. but that's me now but maybe 25 years ago it wasn't well i'm not sure i knew you 25 years ago i knew you shortly after you started your company yeah you and diana i'm not sure who Mm -hmm. i met first um but you know that i that that's very important to me that that whole authentic aspect um and i appreciate the chapter that you put um we we only have a couple of minutes left, so I'd I'd like you to think about or share what what you want people to walk away from with this book. Okay, um, one of the main things is that everyone is a leader in some way, even if you don't have a job title that's a leadership type of title, you can be a leader in your friend group, a leader in a volunteer situation, a leader in your community. Um, You can be a leader in your kid's school. Um, There's all kinds of opportunities to be a leader. And the world needs more people to step up and be leaders and be good leaders, be effective leaders. And so I wrote this book, not for me now, but for the me of 25 years ago, the, the young woman working in corporate and 25 years ago was at Arthur Anderson in their Office of Government Services. Anderson no longer exists, of course, because of the whole Enron um, situation. But, you know, I was being promoted into a managerial position, didn't really know what I was doing, uh, had never led people before. And I could have really benefited from this. Um, And I think a lot of people are put in those kinds of situations in their jobs where they're good at their job. And so they get promoted to manage other people doing that job and they have no idea what to do. And so I you know, I wrote that this book primarily for that type of person um, who really wants to step up and wants to be a good manager, a good leader, but doesn't really understand how to do it. And each of these mindsets by themselves are important. But what's most important, I think, is to try to master as many of them as possible, because it's not just one thing, one mindset that makes someone a good leader. Um, you can be confident, but if you're not approachable, um, then you're probably not going to be a good leader. So I think it's just one of those things that in order to be the most effective leader possible, you want to try to master, we'll say, master as many of these mindsets as you can. And at least if you can't, if you don't feel like you've mastered them, at least be working on them. And 
this book will set you on that path extremely well. Molly, I appreciate this. Uh, This is my friend, Molly Gimmel. I hope you've been listening carefully because if you're a conference planner or an event planner, you've heard a woman speaking off the cuff. I mean, we, I, I didn't give her the topics ahead of time. I told her the direction I was going to go in. So she's bright. She's a thought leader. Uh, she's a CEO. Uh, she's been there, done that. So if you're looking for a speaker, look no further. Uh, Molly, again, oh, thank thanks so much. Uh, my friend, Molly Gimmel. Uh, well, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on your show. I appreciate you taking the time and, and, and the time and the time. We won't explain that to other people. Uh, <laughs> this is not my day job. I do advise companies on marketing to the government. I specialize on social selling via LinkedIn, helping companies build a subject matter expert platform and employ content to substantiate that. If that resonates, Drop me a line, Mark Hamtower at gmail.com. Connect with Molly on LinkedIn and connect with me on LinkedIn. And thank you for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. To always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com. Any workout, any mood, any time. That's what the Peloton Tread is all about. From interval runs that motivate you to go the extra mile, power walks that work up a sweat, rolling hill hikes for you to enjoy, and full body boot camps to hit your goals. Plus thousands of workouts that go beyond the tread. Strength programs, core classes, yoga, Pilates, and even boxing. Everything you need on and off the Peloton Tread. Experience it all for yourself with a 30-day home trial. Learn more at OnePeloton.com.